It's gone! It's a grand slam! And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Hey there, welcome to the Prospects Baseball Show, episode number 41. Um, My name is Dean Millard. I think they should ban the shift, and uh, I got to bring in uh, my good friend, the head coach of the Edmonton Prospects, also the AGM, and my man, Jordan Blundell, is joining us. How are you, buddy? (laughs) I'm doing well, Dino. How are you doing? Were you you loving the wind the other day? Was Uh, it 80? 80, 80 kilometers an hour, 100 kilometers an hour? Yeah, 100 kilometer an hour winds. We get so much wind on our balcony. It's like hurricane, typhoon, tornado island uh, alley. It's just crazy. So we did all these great things to it to improve it. Trees, flowers. It's beautiful out there, and we haven't been able to enjoy it. So hopefully the wind calms down. The sun is out. Uh, I think it's supposed to rain at some point today. Uh, if it hasn't already, I've been inside most of the day, but... Uh, the weekend should be nice, and we can uh, get back out, social dist, physically distancing, and uh, still enjoying ourselves. On the show today, Brian McCabe from the University of Benedictine Redhawks in Mesa, Arizona, is going to join us. We're unfortunately going to chat about the season uh, being officially over for the WCBL, but not terribly surprising. And I've got a new segment uh, to unveil for Jordan. So I'm really, are you, are you excited about this new segment yeah. that I'm going to throw I'm at you? I'm excited. This, this is a surprise too. I, I I won't know what's happening. All right. Well, that's the best way to go. A genuine <laughs> reaction. Yeah. Uh, by the way, you can uh, get in touch with us at EDM Prospects, uh, at Prospects Baseball Club or www.prospectsbaseballclub.com. And you can reach us at prospectspod and prospectsbaseballshow.ca. Uh, you can find and track Jordan down at Jordan Blundell 4 And I'm at Duck Millard. So let's get into it now. Hey, bada, 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 swing, bada. Got him looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. So the big news that came down last week, Jordan, is that the WCBL officially canceled its season. I don't think either one of us were surprised. It doesn't mean we're any less disappointed, uh, but in a league that uh, needs fans at the gate to survive, having games without fans did not make a whole lot of sense. No, it was going to be a tough go, Dean. And, and, uh, you know, it's the lifeblood of of our franchise and and the league, like you said, and, and, you know, having fans there enjoying themselves and, and, Kind of using the venue that, that we provide the entertainment, they provide the energy, and they, they provide the um, the ambiance and, and all that kind of stuff that fans bring. Uh, you know, it's sad. Uh, it's unfortunate we don't get to spend that summer with our fans. Uh, like a fan base that was steadily growing. You know, we've been we've been working upwards uh, since 2012 when when uh, the prospects went into the facility and, and shared it with the. With the Capitals at the time, and, and to get to where we're at, like last year, where we had three thousand fans on opening night, and just just the energy and all that. Um, yeah, without the fans, you know, we our, our product a little bit different. And uh, unless we can get it on MLB Network and get that TV <laughs> deal, but we weren't able to secure that as of yet. So um, the inevitable happened. Uh, without fans, uh, we're kind of kind of up a creek without a paddle. So. Have you thought about much, you know, so much has happened, uh, you know, from your, your approaching a baseball season and then uh, the pandemic hits and then the uh, decision about Remax field uh, and, you know, you guys are uh, full speed ahead, heading out to Spruce Grove. Have you given much thought that you might have uh, managed, uh, coached your last game at Remax field? I mean, Pat, your owner, Pat Cassidy said, on the uh, Alberta Dugout podcast, that uh, if a deal can't be worked out, you guys will just take a year off until the stadium is built in Spruce Grove. Have you given that much thought about uh, your your time at Remax Field might be over? Yeah, yeah, um, I, I definitely have. Uh, and, and and for me, the thoughts go to honestly how grateful I am to have got to do that last year and, and you know hang out in the coach's office with the other coaches and. 
um, you know, experience the, the between batting practice and game time with, with some of the players. Um, you know, walking past the weight room, guys are, are pumping iron in there and listening to some tunes and, um, you know, making a, a PB and J with the fellas and, you know, watching the half inning of the ball game that's on TV. And, you know, all those, all those things are, are pretty cool and pretty special. And uh, a big part of what makes the game so awesome is, is, is really the things that, um, a fan wouldn't see. It's the relationships. It's, it's, it's all those things. And, and to be able to do that in a park that I grew up, um, you know, watching games and, and, you know, obviously dreaming and, and aspiring to be a, a person of that caliber and, and all those things. It was awesome. It was a great experience. Uh, I absolutely loved every second of being at Remax Field. It, it was, it was an honor to get to do that. You know, I'm really proud and, um, proud of the city, proud of Edmonton, like the ballpark, all that stuff. It's just a re- really cool summer. So, yeah, I mean, I thought a little bit about uh, that might be it. And, and um, you know, right away, I just kind of think about how awesome last year was. And if, if that was the year and that's it, then, you know, I'm still pretty lucky. I think so. I think the way the way you guys went into that playoffs, um, if you're riding out on that, it's a pretty good memory. Um, you know, and, and, and it was interesting listening to that podcast with Pat on it. And then Randy Gregg was on it after, and I don't know, Randy Gregg, I, I went to him one to get, to get orthotics and I watched him as an oiler. So I don't know him, but I really didn't like the word betrayal, uh, that he used in that interview, um, saying that, you know, if, if there, there, the, the territorial rights isn't lifted and this team uh, goes to Spruce Grove, name meaning the prospects. He never actually even mentioned the name of the owner of the prospects, Pat Cassidy. He just said their owner. Uh, he said they'd be betraying baseball fans. And I find that really strange for a guy to say he's betraying baseball fans because it takes two to make a deal. I have not been any of the negotiations, but if they were at all fair between the prospects and Randy Gregg, a deal would be done right now. So I just felt the word betrayal was really, really strong uh, for a guy who has taken over a baseball stadium without a team. It really sounds like he's trying to make Pat out to be the bad guy so he gets a good deal. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it was an interesting uh, interview uh, to listen to. And, and, you know, those guys at Alberta, Alberta Douglas stories do a great job. And, um, yeah, 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 just to be honest with you, I, I mean, I don't like the word betrayal either. I, I think that, um, you know, the opportunities that I've got with this organization to to work on both sides of the ball, the front office and the off season and, and the building and the planning and all those things. And, and then to get to be on field, uh, um, you know, that, that would be the last word I would use to describe our group and, and what we do and how hard we work to continue to move the product forward to, to increase relationships with their fans. Like all that stuff is, is all about community gathering. Like that's all we've ever kind of talked about. So yeah, it, I mean, it, it wasn't great to hear that either. I listened to the, to the podcast earlier today. It wasn't, wasn't a great word to hear for sure. And, you know, honestly, you know, when I came on board here in, in 2017 in the fall, there was no guarantee Remax Field was, would still be standing there today based on the river crossing plans that the city was putting out. And, um, you know, we, we worked hard to, uh, as a group, uh, because we feel and, and felt how important that facility is. Like, what a privilege it is for us to get to do what we do in there but how awesome a facility it is and how great it is to have those fan engagements and have that walk-off win last year in the playoffs and hear the fans go nuts, all those kind of things. It was, you know, we launched a campaign uh, called uh, the, the crown jewel of the river Valley. And, you know, we had our, our guest speakers uh, came in. It was Robbie Alomar. And we had a chance to kind of really just talk to Robbie about what was going on and, and, the potential that the ballpark wouldn't be there long term, and, and it was because of maybe some developments and some other business type things and, and city planning type things that would, you know, make it so that they need that land for other uses. And, and you know, uh, being baseball stewards and getting, getting the opportunity to run a program out of that facility, you know, we obviously didn't want to see that for our own, um, you know, benefit of survival, and but also because it's of how cool and special the facility is. So we put a lot of time and effort um, in 
the crown jewel of the River Valley campaign. And, and um, you know, in my opinion, it was successful because initially uh, not all the plans included that ballpark. And then when the city, because um, we got to see some of the plans prior to everyone, uh, when they when they made those public, all the proposed plans did include uh, the ballpark. So, um, you know, whatever, whatever that means, maybe they were never going to get rid of it. Maybe, maybe it was all talk. It really doesn't matter. It was the fact that I think we showed our true colors of how important we felt like that ballpark was. So, yeah, I mean, I don't like hearing the word betrayal for sure. I mean, um, you know, we invested in the city's facility in that sense of spending money and marketing dollars and, and time and effort and energy towards that campaign. Um, with some benefit for us. I mean, if the park's not there, then, then we don't get to play. But as it turns out, the, the park might be there and <laughs> we might not be in there. So, um, you know, and the other thing, uh, the other thing for me, because I've, you know, I've been an Edmontonian my whole life. I've lived elsewhere, but Edmonton's my hometown. And I'm from here and um, I love Edmonton. And we've talked about this before. Uh, my friend on Vancouver Island with would have no doubt in being able to tell you who the biggest Edmonton homer is. And it, it's me. And that's when the Oilers sucked and they were in last place all those years and the Canucks were good. So all my friends were Canuck fans and I was holding it down for, for Edmontonians on the Island. And, you know, they, they bugged me about it. And it was funny, but um, initially when the prospects got into that facility to where we were at, at the end of last year, the amount of growth, um, that we saw with the fans and the product and, and the caliber of players and, and our record. It was the first winning season that that team's had in that ballpark. Uh, they've had a little bit of success in the playoffs for sure, but it was the first season above 500 in the regular season. Um, there was a lot of cool things happening and there was still growth to, to be had. But initially, like our ownership group and Pat specifically uh, put a lot of his own money into trying to make that work. And, and I mean, I know the history cause I've been around the sport, you know, since I was a young lad playing, but also once I started coaching college, you know, I kept in touch with everybody back here and, and recruited and, you know, got the heartbeat of what the baseball scene was, was, was up to. And, you know, like the, for, for whatever naysayers there may be, um, you know, I know how much Pat cares about that ballpark and, and, uh, the prospects franchise and, and you know he's put his, he's put himself on the line uh, to to survive and make that viable and and a lot of hard work kind of started to pay off in the last two years but uh, like anybody that's ever opened a business and, and my parents have done this themselves the first few years are tough man like you got to get past the you got to get over that hump before you can solidify and even then you can never rest on your laurels so um, yeah, the betrayal word, long story short, was, was you know, it, it is what it is. It, it, I, I wouldn't use that term to describe our, our ownership group, but, um, you know, we wish us, like, I wish them the best of luck. I mean, uh, it's a great facility. If they're able to figure something out and, and make something work down there, you know, more power to them. I, I know how hard we work to, to bring in live acts and events, and concerts, and, and youth teams and all those things. And, um, you know, sometimes we had success doing that. Sometimes we didn't. So, yeah, maybe some fresh eyes will, will, will be able to do some different things. And, and yeah, at the end of the day, wish them best of luck. We're going to talk about uh, Major League Baseball divisions in a second. I just the final one, word I want to mention on that is it's it's he mentioned about uh, we got to put monetary. Um, uh, I can't remember how he phrased it, but you know, I guess mon- you know, monetary goals aside, which is which is silly. You don't build a brand and a team and then just decide whatever you're going to do. It doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter anymore. And it's really easy to say that when you haven't put a dime into a WCBL franchise, and and Pat has put blood, sweat, and dollars into this franchise. So there's territorial rights for a reason, and that's why they're negotiated as a league. And uh, you know, to to just uh, uh, kind of throw money aside in any of this uh, seems a little bit silly. Pat cares about baseball, uh, just like Randy Gregg care, cares about baseball, and nothing is done uh, without a deal. So hopefully something works out, and if not, then we'll see where uh, where things lie. Now let's talk about this Major League Baseball three-divisional league plan. No AL, no NL, uh, just uh, <laughs> geographically based teams. So the Blue Jays and the Braves 
are in the same division and uh, the athletics and the Dodgers are in the same division. And, uh, you know, you, you go down the list, the uh, white Sox and uh, the reds are in the, in the same division in the central. What do you think of these, these, this three team or three division league this year? Well, first off, I love the regular divisions. Um, but, this is kind of cool, Dino. You know, and, and if this is a one-off or this is a this is how we do this this year, yeah, man, I'd love to see the Oakland A's playing the Dodgers more regularly. It just, it's just, it's a cool element to something that um, maybe they've been forced into trying to figure out a, the best way to operate this year, and because of that, uh, could provide some new excitement, some some new competition, some new fan bases getting to root against each other and, and spend more time doing that. And, and you know, maybe they're onto something here with, with some, some regional rivalries and, and, you know, a lot of talk on the financial side of baseball has kind of turned into this being a regional sport and you really don't go outside your bubble to consume the product that, uh, you know, if you're in the Midwest, you kind of follow the Midwest teams, unless you, you've got a family tradition of being a, you know, a Dodgers fan from back in the day or, or something like that. So, you know, this could be the start of a trend uh, towards a more regional view uh, to the business side of the sport. What, what's your take? What do you like? What do you, what do you like? What do you dislike about this new format? Well, I'm 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 curious about what kind of playoff format you're going to have. First of all, uh, do you take the three? Playoffs. Yeah. Do you do you take the the three kind of division leaders? Playoffs, and uh, you you take them and you automatically uh, put them playoffs in the playoffs, uh, or and then do, then what do you do from there? Do you take the next uh, seven best teams? Like I I just don't know if you want to have ten like you had last year. I have no idea you know what the best playoff format is, but um, I you know what I if you're gonna have no if you're gonna have the DH in both leagues. Do you need, like, could you go to this format after COVID as a regular format? Uh, as far as the, the new division? Like, you know what? Like, this is a, this seems like it's a one-off, right? Because of this weird season. Yeah. Could you see something like this if there's no DH anyway to distinguish the leagues moving forward? Certainly cuts down on a lot of travel costs. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> yes, I could see this sticking. Uh, baseball traditionalists may not want that. Uh, perhaps we're at the point where we need to inspire new fans, a new generation of fans. The fact that you're you're more regional and, and you have more access to get to Oakland from LA, perhaps that that inspires more fandom. Um, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I mean, Tampa Bay to to New York and Boston, and uh, you know that. That's really as close of a flight as you can get. Toronto's not that far either. I think there's something to this regional thing. I, you know, I, I still like to see the the, the 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 leagues be split so that you have that um, built up energy from from both leagues to get to a World Series, and and it's your league versus their league. And you know, although interleague play exists, and, and you do see some teams every year on crossovers. There's still that National League kind of versus the American League uh, posturing and, and, and pride involved. So I, I wouldn't put it past uh, MLB to be creative. Uh, they've suggested some things that they're willing to look at. They, you know, they had some weird rules involved in the Atlantic League last year, an independent league that kind of worked in conjunction with MLB on, on potential rule changes like robot umps, they have those in the Atlantic League to, to run a sample test of how effective it is, what, what's the, is it something that we can do long-term at the big league level? So, you know, they're getting a, they're getting a free roll here to try something right. new. So you might as well try as many things as you can on this free roll. And if something works, then you'd be, you'd be silly not to try and implement that full-time. Yeah, you're playing with house money. Uh, this yeah. year so east central and west uh you've got all these combinations there's great teams in both divisions all three rather there's terrible teams 
in all three. You're not allowed to get splinters by sitting on the fence. Who's the best and what's the worst out of the East, Central, and West new divisions? Oh, I like the West. I like the West. Um, you know, Dodgers, A's, like you said, the Angels with Red Doan there. Um, San Diego, I like. They've got a chance to be good. Uh, at some point here, they're going to be good with all that young talent. Um, San Fran's probably uh, kind of at the bottom there bringing it up. And, you know, Arizona is a, is a team that, uh, in my opinion, is just they're, they're maybe right on the cusp of being like Tampa Bay in the sense that they're just always good. They're tough to beat, and, and they're really deep, and they've got young guys continually coming up, and you never heard their name, and they produce. Um, I like the West. I also like the West because um, the, 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 the start times of the games are really great for us here. You know, you get the 5 o'clock start, then the 8 o'clock start, you get the night game. I'm a little bit partial to that Pacific time zone. I spent uh, uh, over a decade on the Pacific time zone. It's, I love it. The next best is Mountain. Um, you know, there's some good teams in the East, but uh, I'm going. I'm going with the West. Where Where do you Where do you stand on this one? Well, me too. I I just want to be able to see. You know, like I love the, the the Dodgers beat the crap out of everybody in their division all the time, and it doesn't seem like they're ever. Maybe one of the reasons is they're not tested enough. So. I like to see the Dodgers not only uh, have to face the Angels, uh, but the Astros and 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 some of these teams and the A's. Like I want to see them face those teams on a on a regular basis, and uh, maybe it makes them uh, better in the uh, in the long run. So I don't know. I I think it's uh, I think it's pretty good. Actually, CBS. Uh, I was reading an article. They predicted uh, the 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 wins for these teams. Uh, the West Division teams are predicted to have an average of 82 wins, which is the most out of the three in 10 games above uh, 500. So that would uh, also uh, kind of explain maybe the West is going to be uh, a little bit stronger. I did a quick interview before uh, we got on the air today, actually, with uh, Astros owner Jim Crane. And I said, Jim, do you think it would taint it if they just drew names out of a hat for the World Series this year? I don't think it taints it. He said no. He didn't think so. And then I said, Jim, uh, what if we played marbles to decide the World Series winner? I don't think it taints it. Okay. And, Jim, what if we had a three-legged race of one rep- two representatives from every team? I don't think it taints it. So Jim Crane is on board for everything, apparently. <laughs> the progressive uh, mind. Yeah. Uh, Definitely thinking outside the box there. I, I love it. I love it. I love where they're at. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, this is also what I've been doing with my time. I've been franchising the Dodgers, and I finally won the World Series. Game oh, yeah. seven against the Yankees. Clayton Kershaw on three days rest got it done. Oh, there it is. And he's had issues up to this point on three days rest. So yeah. that's great that he overcame that hurdle that he's had in his career. You know how scary it was facing that Yankee lineup? Like every single oh. guy can hit a home run at any second in that lineup. They don't have enough right-handed power yet. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I did that, and then I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to go the next year. Well, I just got raided. Every like Mookie Betts went to the Rangers, and I lost all my players. So I started over. I'm in the playoffs yep. again, but I kind of pulled. You know how, like during WCBL games, you're checking your fantasy lineup. You're you're distracted a little bit sometimes. No, never. Like I, I wouldn't do that during a game. To like make, running make to the office deals. to to make a <laughs> trade. Yeah. So you know, fantasy is the main person. I got a little bit distracted and I made a bunch of trades. I ended up with an entire bullpen full of right-handers. Not one lefty in my bullpen. That's bad uh, management. Is the deadline come and gone? Oh, yeah, I'm in, the, I'm in the playoffs already. I didn't realize it because I sim a lot of the games and then I just manage them where I just have them playing while I'm doing other work. And I, I didn't pay a lot of attention to the trades I was getting offered and I ended up with an entire uh, right-handed bullpen. I'm playing the, the Brewers right now, but absent-minded well, you know absent, uh, managing. That's a great point that you bring up because um, – you know, with all the advanced analytics and the stats and, and um, all the information that's available to front offices right. now, you know, there are right-handed pitchers that, um, you know, maybe they've got uh, a devastating change-up that, for all intents and purposes, absolutely neutralizes left-handed hitting. Um, but they may have a pitch that um, works equally, is, is equally as effective versus left-handed hitters as it is against right-handed hitters. So the traditional, 
you know what, I'm going to Jeremy Felt uh, for the Giants out of the bullpen because they got two lefties. Mm-hmm. For sure that still exists. But the numbers are saying that it's, it, it's, your decision isn't based, it, it's not, no longer mandatory for you to make that decision because these analytics will back up. You may have two guys in that bullpen that actually perform really well against uh, left-handed hitters against right-handed hitters, and you'll be able to match them up regardless if they throw right or left. So that's an interesting thing that's evolved in the last couple of years at the big league level. Well, Billy Bean didn't care about uh, righty-lefty either, right, uh, as far as uh, Scotty Hatterberg in, in the lineup as we played uh, the clip last week. Um, the one thing I did want to ask you about uh, as I was going through this is the reliever rule, like uh, the three batter or one inning. Um, man, that 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 really could hurt some of those specialty guys that came in to face the one righty. No doubt. But I think there's uh, I think part of that rule is that if you finish an inning, you, you can be done. You don't need to get to a full inning's worth of work. Right. So yeah. If, you, but you either have to face three batters or th- th- go to the end of that inning. Yeah. 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 So if, if you, if you got a, a guy, a lefty coming in and then the, the batting order changes after that, or they bring in a pinch hitter, he's got to stay in. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. It's uh, it, it will change the game. It will change the, the way the game's managed. So right. maybe this leads to, you know what, like now the, the level of managing just went up, you know, get rid of the pitchers hitting full DH everywhere. There's still this, to account for as far as managerial decisions and matchups and all that, which is one of the arguments to keep the National League the way it is and allow pitchers to hit is that the, there's a managerial, there's a difference in managerial decision-making in the National League versus the American League. Maybe this helps lead to a universal DH because uh, of these matchups and these rules and these minimums Maybe that maybe that pushes it towards okay. We've got enough managing going on with that. We can implement the universal DH. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I wouldn't have a problem with uh, the universal DH. Um, and, and and listen, I think I think there's still enough things for a manager to to be worried about. I am concerned <laughs> about the lefty specialist that is only used to facing this type of batter, right? And now it's like, oh, you got to throw in these other two guys that you have to face you can't you don't have your buddy from your bullpen coming to, coming after you to take on these guys like how are these guys going to be able to adapt yeah i guess they're going to have to figure it out they're going to have to make an adjustment maybe work on that cutter sure. develop a second pitch that becomes more effective and yeah it'd be interesting to see i mean i you know ultimately i'm sure that there'll be some guys uh, left on the outside looking in because of these the the rule changes and and um, you know maybe open some doors for some other guys. So, mm-hmm. all right, let's move on to history class. Uh, born uh, on this day in Major League Baseball, Aaron Nola, still a no, youngster, no. a twenty seven year old. Uh, I think he had close to twenty wins a couple of years ago. Uh, pretty uh, crafty young pitcher. Yeah, that's cool. I met uh, I met his brother. At uh, a baseball convention, he was a younger brother. Nice, uh, a yeah. guy who made his debut on this day. I believe he won an MVP in the National League. Twenty-two-year-old Andrew McCutcheon on this day made his debut. Hit leadoff for the Pirates versus the Mets, and he went two for four with an RBI and three runs scored. Uh, is he, is he fallen off a little bit? Yeah, I think he has. Cut is a beauty, though. Um, I, I think he'd be a great teammate, like a fun teammate yeah. to have, like, like sweet. Like, I, yeah, Kutch is my boy. Like, I play with Kutch. I think he's that type of guy. It seems like it. And he's always got this good energy about him. Um, probably ha- has come back a little bit from his uh, two, three-year peak with the Pirates, but still an effective player and probably uh, on a, in a 12-10 team, 12-team fantasy league, maybe he's, He's a fourth or fifth outfielder option. All right. A guy who played his final game, Ted Lilly, uh, with the Dodgers in 2013. He started, went four innings, gave up six hits, five runs. They did win the game against the Padres, though. Uh, This is a guy who broke in with the Expos. He also played with the Jays, the Yankees, the Cubs, and as mentioned, uh, the Dodgers. Uh, Never really an ace kind of guy, kind of like a back-of-the-order guy. Yeah, kind of of a 
sneaky good. Like like you said, you know, probably uh, on a really good team, he's he's a four. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good description. Uh, on this date in uh, 1986, some guy hit his first home run off Craig McMurtry as the Pirates beat the Braves. He would go on to hit 761 more home runs, and he has a giant head. Who am I talking about? Hammer and Hank. Barry Bonds. 1986, <laughs> man. Uh, 2009 on this day, the big unit gets win number 300 over the Nationals. On his first try, you gave him the first guy since Tom Seaver in 1989 to get it on his uh, first try. We've talked about this a lot. Um, he became a, a different pitcher after he left the Expos, didn't he? Oh, completely, completely. And, and I mean, he didn't immediately turn into that dominant force. Uh, it took a little bit of time once he left Montreal, but it, it was kind of a steady progression and then all of a sudden explosion into maybe the most feared pitcher in the history of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, I don't think anybody's alive that saw the 20s and, and, you know, the early part of baseball and how dominant those guys were, but. Randy's got to be up there. Bob Gibson's got to be up there. It's just like you're scared to face this guy. He looks nasty. Nolan Ryan. He, he seems mean. Yeah, there's like they've got something about him that just says, "Man, I don't want anything to do with this guy." Randy's one of them. Uh, 2012, the Astros draft Carlos Correa first overall. First player from Puerto Rico taken first overall. He hit seventh in their lineup last year. That's uh, how deep they were. And uh, they also cheated, but Jim Crane says... I don't think it taints it. So Jim Crane is okay with the <laughs> fact that uh, uh, they did not taint the World Series. But uh, it, Carlos Correa, you know, the, the cheating aside, still a pretty good player hitting pretty low in that lineup. Yeah, a real good player. And with us, the year Sports Illustrated put out, the Astros are going to win the World Series. Remember they? they yeah, did the that's right. Yeah, in like was four or five years. Or that, I don't know. That, yeah, I can't remember what year that was. I, I feel like it was after the Correa, but but maybe not. In any event, Correa uh, was just an electric prospect, and, and you know, there's always a little competition for that first overall pick. But uh, the athleticism of that shortstop, um, his his ability to hit. Uh, to control the game defensively, and yeah, it obviously worked out for the Astros. Yeah, no doubt. All right, time for our uh, guest, Brian McCabe, University of Benedictine Redhawks. Right after we hear uh, the gambler from Hats Off to Roy Halladay. By the way, I heard from uh, Hats Off to Roy Halladay, the lead singer. Uh, there may be a uh, National League song coming out about a certain team. Uh, so keep your ears peeled to radio stations. Okay. Uh, if we get it, uh, it'll be played on this show first and foremost. So Brian McCabe, after we hear The Gambler. Got more hits than the great weight balls Rod Carew and the late I call All three Coopers down in Dougie's And though he ain't no stand-up guy The baseball numbers do not lie Yeah, well Rose, he's my man But Charlie hustles in the garbage can Brian McCabe is the head coach of the University of Benedictine Red Hawks uh, baseball program, and he uh, joins us uh, right now. Before we get to uh, anything baseball related, um, we, we probably should talk about the fact that you're a Blackhawks fan. The Oilers 
are facing the Blackhawks in this upcoming playoff. We're located in Edmonton. Um, there should be some sort of wager on the line between the three of us, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. It's it's only fair after you know going a couple months without hockey. It's only it's only natural. All right, yeah, well, I think we'll uh, we'll do that off air, Gino. You know, but we're gonna have to set something up. Yeah, we we'll, might have to uh, tra- trade trade hats or something like that, or uh, something from the Edmonton <laughs> yeah, reason, region. Yeah, my my confidence in the Hawks is uh, it's gone down a lot in the past few years, but I, I still have faith in them enough. That's what happens with uh, dynasties. Um, I, I guess let's start uh, as we talk some baseball. The current Major League Baseball situation, and you know, uh, you know, we we all know what's going on in the uh, the world, not just with COVID, but. Uh, with everything else now going on uh, in in North America, it's it's just kind of a scary scene. And then you have these millionaires fighting with billionaires uh, over what's going to happen after COVID with money. Um, I, I I think it's kind of strange that this is going on. But do you think there will be a labor fight past COVID, past the time where they say you're allowed to go play play baseball if you want? Do you think there will be an extended labor fight between these two groups? Yeah, you know, it's tough. I, I've heard, obviously, you know, stories on both sides. It seems like everybody, you know, wants to get it done. Um, but, you know, truthfully, I wouldn't be shocked if there wasn't baseball for two years, uh, two seasons. Obviously, once you clear this year, you've got, you know, the CBA uh, expiring and, you know, there's, there's lots of issues there. So, you know, hopefully they do come back. And, you know, I know the players want to and I know they want to be compensated fairly for, for all the right reasons. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, but I'm not too hopeful, but we'll see what happens. So if, if we went into some sort of labor strike and we don't play this year and that continues into the spring, ultimately what kind of damage do you think baseball might end up doing to its own game? Yeah, I think, I think it could be, you know, uh, a ton of damage. It's, you know, especially during this time of, you know, the coronavirus. I mean, I catch myself waking up to watch the KBO every morning. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think just, you know, those, those sports fans that just have the desire to watch something, uh, you know, they may, they may get a lot more fans than they've had in the past simply because, you know, there's not a whole lot going on. So I think, you know, that could set, you know, baseball back years, but, you know, just, uh, the uh, idea of it and, you know, not going back when there's all this, uh, you know, all these things going on in the world. But uh, like I said, you know, I definitely side with the players and, you know, them getting compensated fairly, but it, it is interesting. I th- think there could be a lot of damage. You know, you go back to the 94 strike, uh, you know, things were not very good there for a couple of years till 98. And, you know, we could see that again. There's millions of Canadians that uh, still won't forgive major league baseball. Uh, for 1994, even though the the Expos weren't guaranteed of winning anything, they just had their their best chance. So I, I'm sure baseball fans, you know, it's just it's just kind of reading the room, right? Like this is not the time uh, to be arguing over millions of dollars when you have so many people uh, out of business. So hopefully they they're able to get it figured out. And you know, there was a lot of things that people were looking forward to. I was really looking forward to seeing Mookie Betts in a in a Dodger uniform. Uh, I'm sure everybody was looking forward to seeing the Astros have to play at Yankee Stadium and then take their medicine at every stadium they go to. What were some of the things that you were looking forward to in a Major League Baseball season this year? Yeah, you know, like I, like I said, I'm, I was really excited to, you know, uh, watch that White Sox rebuild kind of in that first year of, you know, been, been several years of rebuilding. Uh, like you mentioned, I was, I was really excited to see how those Astros were going to get handled. Uh, you know, it's obviously what they did was wrong and, you know, many implications to what they did, but uh, it would have been interesting to not only see, you know, what the pitchers did to them, you know, what the, what the hitters are doing, but also, you know, the fans and you started to see some of the gimmicks show up early in spring training uh, with some opposing teams. But I think that would have been fun just to see them go through that because, you know, I don't think they necessarily handled it gracefully uh, when they were uh, found guilty. So uh, definitely would have been entertaining to see that. Yeah, no doubt a storyline of the Astros going into some uh, road ballparks would have been uh, must-see TV, especially those big parks like Yankee Stadium where you know the fans in right field, the bleacher creatures, you know they have no trouble getting after it, guys. So that would have been something to play in, something to watch. Like I said, must-see TV. Um, 
we'll break it into to Benedictine Mesa's college baseball season coach. And, um, you know, the fact that everything got shut down and when it got shut down, what was that like for, for your program, for your players, for yourself and the coaching staff? What was that like in, in a couple of days leading up to, are we done? Are we not done? And then it's canceled. Yeah, you know, we had a really interesting time, just like everybody else did, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, we were supposed to fly out up to Sacramento, uh, you know, Friday, March 13th. And, you know, kind of those couple days leading up to it, I guess there were a few questions, but, you know, I was probably ignorant like a lot of people and thought, you know, um, everything would go on as planned and those things. And then, you know, we finished practice up the day before that uh, flight. And, you know, that was about noon. And by the time, you know, I got home at one or two o'clock, the whole trip was canceled. So, um, you know, it was spring break that following week. So, you know, I thought we may be off for seven to 10 days. And then, you know, maybe four or five days later, uh, the season's canceled. So it, uh, it definitely escalated quickly. And we were about 12 hours from getting on a plane. So uh, I guess thankfully it got called when it did. Uh, but it was, it was definitely interesting. It was a rough time, you know, for the guys. But we never, we never met again, you know, after, after that last practice. So that, that's what the most disappointing thing is to me. Yeah, no doubt. And I got a chance to see the, the Mesa, Benedictine Mesa Redhawks play this spring. And, and uh, you guys took it to my old program against Jamestown and, and uh, took two or three from uh, a team out there, your rival in California. And um, things were looking good. You guys looked athletic. You guys looked like, Tough, tough at bat, good guys on the mound. Uh, I know, obviously, you were looking forward to the season, and, and uh, from what I saw, man, it was entertaining baseball. It was a fun team to watch. Um, the Benedictine Mesa baseball program isn't very old, Coach. Can you can you kind of tell us what that process was like leading up into the very first year of the program, and maybe kind of what happened in the year prior to and the year one and two of this program starting? Yeah, so, you know, I moved out, uh, you know, probably a year and a half before the baseball program had started. No no affiliation with Benedictine at the time. Uh, and then, you know, I was uh, coaching at Phoenix College, a junior college down here in Arizona. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to get an admissions job at Benedictine. So, I, you know, I knew there was a baseball program coming and truthfully just wanted to get my foot in the door any way possible. Uh, so I started working in admissions in, uh, you know, it would have been January of 2016 and then, uh, excuse me, 20, 2015. And then, uh, you know, we had that spring, obviously, you know, Kelly Stinnett was named head coach, uh, I believe that January, um, you know, and then kind of once my season ended with Phoenix college, we just got things rolling, you know, Kelly had already begun recruiting and, you know, it's interesting. I'd, I'd never been, you know, first year program, a new school, anything like that. So there's definitely lots of, uh, you know, experiences to be had, but you know, it's, it's been great. And you know, what we've done in just four years has been pretty special. So tell us about, um, you know, before you get into, uh, this program, your, uh, you know, your, your playing career, um, you know, what was your, what was your position? What was your, um, I guess your journey as a player before you became a manager? Yeah, so I was, you know, I was that typical weird left-handed uh, bullpen guy. So, you know, that was kind of my role all through college. Uh, you know, truthfully, didn't you know, didn't didn't make an impact much my freshman or sophomore year, uh, and then junior and senior year, you know, I, I led the team in appearances, which I was proud of. You know, at the back end of the bullpen, but you know, definitely, you know, playing career was not, you know, uh, by any means great, uh, definitely average. But you know, I really realized you know, while I was playing and I was going to school to be a teacher that, you know, coaching is something uh, that really interested me. My dad was a, you know, high school basketball coach my whole life growing up. So just been around coaching and sports my whole life. So, you know, that was, that was something that really got me into that. Uh, but obviously playing, playing in college, playing baseball was just the best experience of my life. So uh, Brian, you were, you, you went to Clark college, correct? Was, were, did you play for coach Spain? I did. I did. So we, we had quite an interesting relationship and path together. Uh, you know, my freshman year coming in was his uh, first year out of school. He was still finishing up his degree as a student assistant. Uh, and then every year it just escalated. So my sophomore year, he was a part-time head coach. Uh, by the end of my junior year, he was our head coach. So 
you know, this it was a guy I was, you know, kind of hanging out with as a freshman. And then as things kept going, you know, uh, you know, he became my head coach a couple of years later. And, you know, we've maintained a great, great friendship and relationship since then. So you grew up uh, just outside Chicago. You ended up playing baseball in Iowa. Can you tell us a little bit about what that recruiting process was like and, and how you ended up going to Iowa from Illinois? Yeah. So, you know, it, judging by what I know of recruiting now, I would say my process was uh, fairly easy. You know, I wasn't, wasn't recruited much. I was looking at, you know, a few D3s, uh, you know, in the Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin area, just those kind of things. Uh, I didn't know too much about junior college, which is something I'm, you know, kind of kicking myself for back in the day. Uh, but yeah, you know, Clark, Clark reached out and it was only about an hour, hour and 15 minutes from home. So it was nice and close. Uh, it's in Dubuque, Iowa, which, you know, is a great city. I fell in love with that. Uh, so it was just, it was good all around academically, athletically, but you know, the recruiting process as a whole, I would say it was pretty easy because it was pretty non-existent. <laughs> uh, how about your uh, your time uh, as we circle back to to where you are now? Um, the first couple of years, uh, you work as an assistant. Kelly Stinnett, former Major League ba- uh, Baseball catcher, uh, is the head of the program. Uh, I guess w- what did you learn for the, the the that that time that you took into your current position, working with a guy who played at the ultimate level? Yeah, you know, Kelly was great. He was very instrumental in me, you know, obviously becoming a head coach, but just continuing to learn. Uh, you know, biggest thing I learned from him, truthfully, uh, you know, getting into coaching, you know, obviously social media, there's all these, you know, these new drills, a lot of these things. Uh, biggest thing he taught me was, you know, the game's changing, but the simple, you know, facets of the game have not changed. So, you know, he was big with just keeping things basic. And I think that was good for me as a young coach who, you know, may want to do too many things or, you know, incorporate, you know, way too many ideas for these guys to understand, you know, in a week. Uh, that, was, that was big for me. So he was he was great. And it was, it was funny, you know, as a, as a kid growing up playing Xbox, uh, you know, using Kelly Smith. And then, uh, you know, a few years later, he's, you know, he's my head coach and I'm working for him. So it was, it was really cool. Yeah, that that is uh, something that uh, probably takes a little while to to get used to for sure. What what was Kelly Stinnett like? Um, you know, was he? Could you tell he had been a major league baseball player, or if you didn't know, um, would you think he was just uh, kind of like a regular guy? What was the, what was he like around? You know, the baseball field in a way. Yeah, I mean, you would never know he was a ball player by you know his attitude or his persona. He he was a normal guy. Uh, you know, never, never wanted to let everybody know, you know, he played in the big. So that, that's something I thought was pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, he, you know, he, he carried himself well and he was just, he was a lot of fun to be around. Um, but obviously, you know, once, once you're around him enough, you start getting those stories of, you know, um, you know, he's just talking about playing catch with Mariano Rivera, like it's nothing. And, you know, just kind of some stories like those where it, it kind of, you know, appreciate, you appreciate what, what you have in the relationship with him at the time for sure. Well, who hasn't played catch with Mariano Rivera, right, Jordan? <laughs> yeah, no, right. Right. Mo, as I call, him. I, I call him Mo. <laughs> His friend, yeah, he, he said he said Mo. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, that's some cool stories and some probably some, some great learning experiences from from a guy that that plays at the top level and and then comes down into college. And college games a lot different than pro baseball and. Um, you know, I'm sure he was able to learn off you, Coach. You know, you played four years of college baseball. You're at Phoenix College. You're in the JUCO circuit. So I bet you that there was some mutual learning going on. And we get to the what would have been the end of the season in a possible World Series run. And this is the end of year four uh, for the program at, at uh, and the Dixie and Mesa, the Red Hawks. Um, you know, I got I got to bring this up because I was following this closely last year uh, the program had 44 wins uh, 2019 seemed like a coming out party for, for the Red Hawks and as it turned out you guys were snubbed by the NAI to continue playing so real quick for our listeners there's there's conference tournaments and then there's selections of teams so if you win the conference tournament you get an auto bid into the qualifying round of the World Series playdowns and and then after that, they go through teams and they, they admit more teams. And it seemed like a shoe-in. And I know we kind of spoke about this last year, but you know what happened last year? 44 wins, that's, that's enough to ignore. 
Sure. Yeah. It was, it was tough. And, you know, the first thing I looked at was, you know, we didn't take care of our business in uh, the conference tournament. So, um, at the end of the day, you know, we kind of put it into our own hands a little bit and, you know, made it an uneasy moment, but, you know, like I said, it was, it was tough. I, you know, I felt like we deserved it, even though we didn't take care of uh, the tournament. Um, you know, you win 44 games and you feel like there's definitely something more to go after a season like that. But uh, it was tough. You know, I, like I said, I, I played in the Midwest, you know, across the East Coast. I, I know what baseball is being played. So I, I definitely felt like we belonged. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you got to take care of your business. And I feel like that's something we were we were on track to do this year a little bit better, uh, but obviously, you know, uh, things happen. Yeah, uh, that's unfo- that's unfortunate. Uh, Jordan, uh, w- when you were watching that, were you pretty surprised? Yeah, you know, I saw them. I saw them in 2019. I saw Coach McCabe's squad, uh, you know, two seasons ago, and I saw them this year. And, I mean, it's kind of more of the same. But you know what? Honestly, I thought that uh, – you know, there's maybe a little bit more maturity on the field this year, uh, a little bit more experience, a little bit more, um, you know, maybe killer instinct, that that kind of intangible that you can't really describe it. It looks like the team had maybe some hunger for what had happened the year before. And, um, we were lucky enough, Coach, to get a couple of your guys up to play for the prospects last summer. We had a right-handed pitcher, Austin Kennedy, who I got to see two springs ago and recruit while I was in Arizona. And then, um, you know, in my opinion, probably our best player uh, last summer, Travis Hunt, uh, a California kid from Moreno Valley. And Travis is just a pleasure to be around. He's a grubber. He's a gamer. You know, he wants to win. And um, both those guys brought that attitude to our summer club last year. And I want to thank you and appreciate you sending those guys up this year. Um, you touched on it briefly, what the outlook was for this year, but, um, you know, from your perspective, what do you think you guys were doing better this year than you were in the 2019 season? Yeah, you know, I think uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit. I think we just had, you know, a little more grit, a uh, little more will to win. I don't, you know, truthfully, I don't know if we were as talented as we were in 19. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, when we got, it really showed when we got down in games, you know, we came back quite a bit, uh, just two strike hitting, just those intangibles that, you know, you can teach all you want, but at the end of the day, you've got to got, you need guys that are just going to go in there and get dirty. So I think, I think we had that a little bit, you know, maturity, definitely, obviously a lot of older guys, um, you know, and I think we just had, you know, as a fourth year, we had, you know, Travis as a four year starter. Uh, we had a few guys as three-year starters, you know, a few high-level high, high level transfers came in. So I think, you know, I think we were close. You know, I kept, I kept telling the team, you know, all throughout the year, and I told them on our last day, uh, I told them we hadn't played a full nine innings with, you know, all three phases clicking. So, you know, we'd, we'd have a good game with, you know, good good uh, defense, good pitching, and we couldn't hit very well. And, you know, that would just go on for a while. But, you know, I think we were coming out of that. I know you saw us, you know, right there before we got shut down. Uh, so it was disappointing. I felt we were on the right track, definitely. I got I to bring this up just because I know we have a couple of uh, people that listen that, that went to my alma mater, University of Jamestown. And in 2019, it's a crazy, a crazy cool story for me. So you guys are playing Jamestown down in, uh, in Tucson. And um, Travis Hunt, who, who didn't have a great game. I mean, I loved him. Before. As soon as I saw him, I like, yeah, he's going to be great. He didn't have a real great game against Jamestown. I, you know, I, I was kind of looking looking forward to seeing him play, and, and it was whatever. You know, it's baseball. And Trav comes off the next train, and he's in the 10th and the 11th inning. And, um, that's the game where they did against my old school. So, you know, I had to I had to have that talk with him when he got to Edmonton. And that wasn't very nice of him. And, um, <laughs> you know, this year, you guys uh, – I guess pick up from the boys in Jamestown. Uh, they play a tough schedule, and they you guys saw them when they when they were a little bit down on the staff. And, um, I absolutely loved the way you guys pounded them. Uh, it was relentless. Like I, I've been lucky enough to play on some teams like that. It was just so fun to watch. In one hand, and then on the other hand, I felt for for, for my brothers at that school because you know Jimmy Cry, the alumni, and all that. Uh, it was really fun to watch you guys go to work and, and be relentless. So, 
you kind of touched on this a little bit. Do you feel like the program was living up to the expectations so far in 2020 before the shutdown? Yeah, you know, I, I think we were close. I, I wouldn't say we had reached expectations. You know, uh, I don't know if I, I ever will reach expectations. Uh, but, you know, I think we, we were close and, you know, we had a lot of good things going. Uh, biggest thing, you know, that I realized, you know, kind of looking back on it, you don't really think this when you're in the middle of the grind, but, you know, we didn't, we didn't play more than five games with our, you know, first 25 guys healthy in there. Uh, you know, we had, we had guys going down, you know, all throughout those first weeks with, you know, freak injuries and tweets and things like that. So, you know, I think, you know, that last week we, we really pulled off a big, you know, conference series win and, uh, you know, we were heading on the road for a big trip and, you know, that was really the first time we had our full group, you know, ready to go on a road trip. So I think obviously that would have made a huge difference, but you know, we were, we were close, but I think, you know, I think if we would have, you know, stayed with it, I, I think we would have, uh, approached it the right way uh this year and i, I think that would have you know definitely benefited us tell us a little bit about uh you know game days uh particularly afternoon game days if they even exist in uh, your neck of the woods there was a lot of talk about uh using all the diamonds around the cactus league uh, for major league baseball and there was also talk about double headers uh, I just can't imagine playing in that that kind of heat uh, in the afternoon, which is, I'm sure, why most games start after at least four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's it's definitely hot out here. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I was surprised being being from Illinois. Uh, I thought it would be worse, truthfully. Uh, you know, the day I moved here it was 118 degrees, and wow. I thought about turning around. But um, you know, it's it was. I, it, it's manageable. You know, I get out there in the afternoon and, you know, even in the middle of summer, we can still golf and, you know, do those things. So I think it's possible, uh, you know, from a facilities perspective, from a logistics, you know, uh, perspective, I, you know, I just don't know how it would work with, you know, getting everybody here, where are the hotels, you know, are they, are they stuck inside all day? You know, those kind of things. But, you know, it, it is warm and that's, that's why we, you know, we like a lot of night games out here, obviously in the summer, but you know, in the spring, it's, it's beautiful to play during the day. Yeah. You make a good point about, uh, you know, housing the players, but I think there's a couple of days in that have that biscuits and gravy in that Phoenix area. You know, those guys, they could slide right <laughs> into one of those spots, maybe the red roof in, I think they've got that gravy too. So they could rough it up. Yeah. Yeah, I've got I've got a list of the NAI hotels and the best practices. So if, if Manfred needs me, I'm I'm here. It's interesting to see some of the proposals that have gone back and forth for for Major League Baseball, and it it actually looks like they may be able to stay in their locations as things have opened up and and things have changed. You know, throughout North America, and you know, Texas is looking at half capacity for their stadiums and, and so forth. If if MLB were to play. Uh, you know, a condensed schedule or a shortened schedule, and we're looking at a 50-game schedule, which I think is – I just don't think it's a great fit for baseball. But if they were to go 50 games, to me, that screams college baseball. Are we going to see flash funds and sacrifice funds in the third inning? Are we going to see that college game at the pro level with only 50 games to make the playoffs? That'd be great. Maybe they can substitute the courtesy runner uh, as well, just to, yeah. just to speed things up in the heat. But yeah, you know, it, it'd be fun. It's, it, it'd be interesting to see how they play it. But, um, you know, 50, 50 games compared to 162, that's going to change a lot of guys' perspectives and, you know, how they approach day to day. Well, and it certainly brings youth uh, to the table of, uh, you know, I. I Actually, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it actually equals the the playing field in that you're not playing as as much, so the older guys don't have to, um, you know, refrain as much and and hold anything back. But when you do talk about youth, you have to talk about teams like the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, and and you look at you know Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, uh, Biggio, um, the, the the future of this team. Where do you think the Jays are as far as contending in, you know, not not this year because they've got the weird three divisions, but in the normal uh, American League? Yeah, I think they're close. Uh, you know, they, they've they obviously got a ton of young talent. I love, you know, all three of them, but I really love watching Biggio. Uh, and it's interesting now, you know, I'm I'm young and I was, I was idolizing their dad. So it's, it's cool to see them all come up. 
so, you know, it's, I think, you know, also signing Travis Shaw, I think that was good for the Jays too. But, um, you know, I think, I think one thing, if we're just talking baseball, I think they're a little short on pitching. You guys might have to tell me if I'm wrong, but, um, you know, pitching, pitching might be a little rough for them. And, you know, it's, it's always tough. You guys have not been blessed to be in the division with the Yankees and Blue Jays uh, <laughs> all the time. And then, you know, you've got the you know, Rays that pull out 90 wins almost every year from nowhere. So, uh, definitely it's always one of the best divisions in baseball, but, you know, I think, you know, truthfully, you know, you throw this year away and, you know, you make sure those guys are still developing. I think that could be, you know, 2021 is the time when, you know, the Jays, you know, maybe get another uh, free agent pitcher after Ryu and, you know, those kind of things. I, I think they could be there. It uh, should be fun to watch. And whenever we get back to it, we'll be doing it. And whenever you guys get back to it, hopefully you guys can take that next step uh, with the program. Brian, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Continued success whenever you do get back on the ball field. I appreciate it. Coach McCabe, thanks very much. Uh, appreciate your time and hope all's well down there for you. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. I look forward to uh, to listening to it and wish you guys nothing but success here in the future. I wish you guys were playing this summer. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. All right, let's uh, wrap things up with a little bit of a surprise uh, segment. I've, I told you earlier, Jordan, that I had a, a surprise segment for you. I didn't want to tell you a whole lot other than that. Are you ready for our new segment? I'm ready. Here we go. My man. Welcome to another edition of Thunderdome. Two men enter, one man leaves. All right, all right, all right. Prediction? Yes, prediction. Pain. Holy shnikes. It's party time. P-A-R-T. Why? Because I gotta. I present to you Baseball Thunderdome. Two men enter, one man leaves. So I'm going to give you every week a choice of two players and you've got to decide which one you would take. Uh, there is no sitting on the fence. There is no, oh, both guys are good. Oh, I'd like to have both guys. You need to pick no, one of these guys. <laughs> so I'm getting set up like my two favorite players of all time. You, you singled them out and you, you've made me make it this, made perhaps the toughest decision of my life. No, these are current players right now, so I don't think any of these are your favorite of all time, but we may get to that at some point. I don't know. I don't make up the rules of Baseball Thunderdome. Actually, I do make up the rules of Baseball is Thunderdome. That, is, is it in the Stratomatic 3000 that the rules get kicked off? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll get the, uh, what did we call that? Uh, I can't even remember that stupid machine that we had on that station. Anyway, uh, are you ready for Baseball Thunderdome? You have to pick one of these two players. I am ready. All right. Your first choice is a member of the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, has been fairly productive uh, so far in his young career. I'm going with Christian Yelich. That's your first choice. 44 home runs, 97 RBIs last year. Christian Yelich is your first choice. Your second choice is a former MVP, Cody Bellinger. So you have the choice of Christian Yelich or Cody Bellinger in baseball Thunderdome. Who are you going with? Christian Yelich. Uh... Power, speed, defense, good arm. Seems like a good guy. I've listened to some of his uh, fan interactions, YouTube videos, extended videos. Uh, I like him. Cody Bellinger, son of a, a former big leaguer, destined to be great. The golden boy for the Dodgers organization through the minor leagues. A sweetest swing from the left-hand side is you could possibly imagine or envision for a player when it comes down to picking Christian Yelich or Cody Bellinger I will go with Cody Bellinger my man 
yeah, I'm not. You know what? It's just a coincidence that he's a Dodger, and, and you might be one of the bigger Dodger fans I know. Um, I love Belly, man. That swing, uh, his defense, his arm. Like, yeah, he's the same, but I'm going with Belly there, man. I like it. I, I thought you were going to go with Yelich based on, you know, the double the amount of stolen bases. I, I actually, I thought that was going to put you put uh, Yelich over the edge. Well, I'm going to construct the the organization. Uh, I'm going to go get a base stealer for Belly. Nice. Uh, um, I'm, I'm going to, you know, Yelich stealing bags on his own. That's great. I love that. Uh, but I'm going to go get a guy to steal some bags for Belly, and 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 he can just swing it. Well, and Bellinger, he, he did have 15 stolen bases last year. Um, it's, yeah. you know, 30, you know, what, what do you want? 47 home runs uh, and, and 15 stolen bases or 44 home runs and 30. The RBIs go down with Yelich. They go up with Bellinger. I mean, um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, um, it's not like Bellinger is miles ahead of Yelich, but it's all personal preference. And that's why it's uh, Jordan Blundell baseball Thunderdome. <laughs> Yeah, Cody Bellinger's my guy. All right. I love it. Uh, you know that. You know that I love that. So, And I loved our conversation today with Brian McCabe from uh, University of Benedictine, uh, the Mesa Redhawks. And, and uh, I'm really, you know, uh, looking forward to whenever I get to see a Prospects baseball game again, whether that's next year, whether that's the year after that. There's a lot of time to talk about that. But uh, I enjoyed this show today, yeah, man. This has been a lot of fun. I, I can't, I'm, I'm looking forward to the time when you can be back here in studio and we can have even more fun. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it was a great show. I appreciate Brian coming on the show. He was uh, He's a great guest. It was cool to catch up and give our listeners a chance to, to hear from a coach down in, in the Phoenix area and, and somebody that's uh, got a really good thing brewing down in at uh, Benedictine Mesa. So, Dino, yeah, great show, man. Appreciate you. You bet. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, I hope you did. Please leave us a review. Uh, it's really helpful for us to uh, get our rating up and get the word out about the show. So please subscribe and leave us a review if you do like it. And if you'd like to be involved in the show, whether as a guest or an advertiser, please email me prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. For Jordan Blundell, I'm Dean Millard. One more thing to say, ban the shift. It's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game.